My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge from the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can learn these lessons for your own life. In this episode, I am joined by Richard Daney. Richard Daney is most famously known for his work at Daney Blackburn, his design studio, which with their first project ever redesigned NASA in the now biblically famous 1976 NASA graphic standards manual that most of us know for producing the worm logo. And him and I go all around and ranging and talking about everything from design to life to how we know each other. And it was just a wonderful conversation recorded earlier this year in May 2020, right before the SpaceX Dragon capsule took up humans from American soil for the first time in about 10 years. I hope you enjoy this podcast with Richard Daney and myself. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. All right. Well, uh, Richard, thank you for coming on my podcast. And, uh, you know, I first saw you speak at the uh, Parsons School of Design about uh, three years ago in 2017. Uh, you gave a talk with a few other, um, you know, graphic design legends, and uh, I sat next to Brian Collins for that oh, one. And then, funnily enough, night, wonderful night. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was great. And uh, that's when you know Brian first hired me. I'm convinced because of my background in aerospace, and uh, you know he's always been obsessed with space and aerospace, like I have, and you know clearly like you oh, have. Sure. And um yeah so kind of I, I i do want to talk about your work like everyone else um has been trying to um you know take your time to do and i appreciate you taking your time to talk to me um but i first kind of wanted to start and, and and take a step back and talk about your life as a whole and so the first question i usually ask my guests is what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning um when i get up in the morning yeah or what well, I love my life, and um, I think since you're asking me today, the first thing I think about is I'm just so thrilled to be alive. Uh, I just did battle with a monster lymphoma, which uh, almost took me out. Um, but through my entire life, when I wake up, I'm very excited in the morning. <laughs> so I'm a kind of a morning person. And I think regardless of whether, you know, you, you, you know, I think, that I was born on a farm in Oklahoma, and uh, it was kind of an extraordinary beginning because it was the middle of the Great Depression, and, and uh, Dust Bowl, Oklahoma, as I like to say, was not the place to be. Um, but, but even then, as a kid, uh, I'd wake up in the morning, I wasn't thinking about design, I can tell you that, but I was thinking about related things, and especially music. Very excited because I had some ability in that thing, and so uh, I greeted each day. Kind of, I was the youngest in the family, and I greeted each day as an opportunity, which I can't quite uh, explain to you. Uh, with with this backdrop of the depression, and, and you know, we were we were certainly poor, um, but we were rich in the sense of, as a, in terms of family life, and there was a lot of integrity in the home, a lot of uh, Great relationships. It's very, very close family. I'm sure we were brought together more by the circumstances that were difficult. 
So um, in a nutshell, I, I wake up in the morning just thinking good thoughts and, and how productive I can be. And that's gone through my whole life. And I'm excited. What a, what a fantastic way to wake up. Um, and I think it's probably from a lot of people I've talked to, um, you know, my grandfather very similarly said he, he used to wake up every morning thinking about all the good he could do and not waste any time thinking about, you know, worrying about things or stressing out about, you know, things that don't matter. I think that would mirror my experience very closely, Rob. Good. Um, and so growing up in Oklahoma, uh, I know you've talked ad nauseum about um, a, a lot of, you know, your your gradual um, kind of how you went from being a, a, essentially a farm boy growing up in Oklahoma to a graphic designer in Manhattan. Uh, and I, I want to spend more time on the questions that, you know, you aren't normally asked, but um, if you could kind of give everyone a brief taste of that journey from Oklahoma to New York. Yeah, well, in spite of the fact that this was a very uh, Spartan life and uh, in my upbringing, there was a, a lot of... Um, interest in music in particular, but the arts. My mom was the inspiration for all of that. She, my dad was a good musician too, he self-taught. Um, but, um, you know, the, the contrast in that era, if you realize in 1934, let's say, I mean, he had a third grade education and uh, that's because he, could only, he couldn't afford to go to school. He was needed on the farm. Uh, that's pretty radical. And he ended up as quite an inventor uh, he, he built stuff on our farm, and the magazines would come, and they they do stories about it and everything. And the guy was kind of brilliant in his own way with third grade education. Um, and I think that uh, mom, as being a literary and uh, uh, an arts enthusiast, she uh, she imbued me with a lot of that. But between the two of them, I just got the best of it, I think. And probably being the youngest helped a lot because my siblings, I think, had it a lot worse than I did. And they sort of coddled me and brought me along. And so the ability, the talent that was kind of innate and probably was there generations before, it hadn't shown up in the, the last generation, uh, started to surface very early. I mean, I was drawing as a kid. I drew on everything. Just to, We didn't have enough paper or anything. I just drawing. I drew on wood, wood you know, and I don't and, and the music was huge, so uh, we all played piano and studied an old upright, and uh, then my brother gave me a trumpet when I was about uh, 13, and I just, he gave me wings, and I just, uh, I just took off. And that ended up affecting my life greatly, including uh, what I did with my life and getting to New York and all that. So um, that, that idea that... Um, <clears throat> Here I was in a farming family, and my father sort of knew innately, I think, that probably none of us were going to be farmers. But it turns out that everyone in the family had their own business, and they went their own way, and very independent, which, which we got from my parents. So um, my oldest brother was an engineer, and there was a lot of pressure. You'll appreciate this, I think, for me to be an engineer. Yeah, my other brother Art was a, a he pursued music and then he ended up in dentistry, dental surgeon, and uh, he um, he was a big influence on me because of the music. But um, they thought I should be an engineer. How ridiculous is this? 
<laughs> I started in engineering at Oklahoma State, okay? And that first year was misery for me. I know you appreciate this because you've asked me before about engineers and the like, and we'll get into that. Um, but I would have made a terrible engineer. And yet, as I said to a friend who asked me this question in an interview recently, he said, uh, well, you're engineering now, aren't you? And I said, yeah. <laughs> in other words, so much of yeah. our design, it's so close. Uh, yeah, you can't even, it is. You can't separate it. So um, to, I'm trying to make this some sense out of this. But anyway, uh, so the arts were a tremendous influence. I got better and better on the horn and piano. And uh, I had a band in high school. And then I had a, a band in college that was very, very good. And we were pretty professional. And we played one summer in Colorado. And <clears throat> I got an offer to, to tour nationally with uh, some great musicians. And I characterized it as my moment of truth, where I decided, hmm. had to decide whether I was going to be a designer or a musician. And I just ultimately chose um, design. But I will say at the same time, Rob, that because I'd grown up at a farm and gone to the wrong university in some respect, there wasn't design as such. I was making it up. I was brutaling yeah. and doing stuff. They didn't single course in it at Oklahoma State. Um, my teachers recognized in me that I was terribly interested in that world of multiples and printed things and posters and all. So, Long and short of it was they let me uh, write my own curriculum in my senior year there. And, of course, that's all I was doing was graphics. Yeah, I, I put all the fine arts aside. And then uh, realizing that I needed more, one of my teachers uh, recommended I go to graduate school. I don't know where we were going to get the money for this. I don't know. So we, uh, she, she got me a scholarship to Yale. And uh, Joseph Alberts was still there. She had studied under him. Oh, wow. Just as I was about ready to pack my bags, he retired. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a real hero, okay? Yeah. Well, we're all kind of nimble if we have to be, right? So she had connections at UCLA. And uh, she said, well, let me, let me set you up out there. And uh, there couldn't be anything more opposite, you know, Yale, UCLA. Anyway, she set it up, and then I ended up going to UCLA grad school. And um, by then, I remember walking into the student show. I went in straight from graduating into a summer school at UCLA. And, they, and the uh, design program had a ex big exhibition on, and, uh, and I had driven, like, for three straight days to get there, and I was just beaten. I walked into the ex exhibit. And I looked around and I just said, I'm home. You know, this, this, this is me. Yeah. And so my interview with the head of the department was kind of discouraging. He said, well, here's, he looked at my work and said, we're going to start all over again. So anyway, I took grad school courses along with undergrads. And it was very tough. But I got through it. And, um, and I, I found myself and that really, that's the story of uh, the trek, if you will. Yeah. And um, then I started, uh, you know, freelancing down in Dallas, and uh, that was good for about three and a half years. And then I uh, said, well, we got to go someplace. And we interviewed on the West Coast, and nothing was happening. So they all said, go to New York. And uh, being a kind of a dutiful soul, went to New yeah. York and interviewed with all the giants. And, uh, yeah. 
and we were up there within a month. And, uh, and when you say we, you mean you and your wife, correct? Uh, me and my wife, and our when we moved to New York, we had a 15-year-old toddler, and uh, Shannon, our daughter, was born in Dallas. And so uh, we just went up there and took a shot. I started freelancing in the city, and, and that's really the, the track. It uh, wasn't a typical one by any means, but it was... Uh, and I look back, was so logical, you know, yeah. and it worked out great. And I think that's the moment when, you know, I've had a lot of those the past few years where um, at first glance, it seems illogical. But when you actually begin to process what you're doing, it's just the right thing that makes the most sense. And you sometimes just have to trust your gut and say, I'm doing this. And it might not make sense until you look back with hindsight, right? Well, you know, the, the DNA was to be independent, um, uh, tremendous desire to be as good as I possibly could be, and also had a terrific urge to, uh, my parents instilled in me the idea that I should work, share with others. And uh, yeah. frankly, one of the motivations to go to New York was the design leadership. And we yeah. just didn't have it in Dallas in a very immature market. It's much better today, but it's, it's you know, New York was the place. And I got up there and quickly got involved in, in, in design leadership. We were happy and, and found out I could do both, do my own work and, and try to help the profession. And that's been a lifelong, a career-long uh, activity. And when in this process that you just explained, did you meet your wife, Shannon? Uh, my daughter is Shannon. My wife oh, is Barbara. Sorry. Barbara's a, <laughs> my, a so sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Um, she's, a, in fact, I get them mixed up. Uh, the reality is that, uh, she has been in business, get this, with me for 36 years. So wow. she's a, a business partner, my life partner, and, uh, kind of spectacular. We, we celebrated our, uh, 50, 59th anniversary a few weeks back. So amazing. Uh, Congratulations. Yeah. That's, that's a toughie anymore, you know, in this day and age. But anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah so um, Barbara has been immersed in the in the uh, firm since 1985 when we were still in New York, and then uh, out here. Now it's really just us. Of course, uh, I like to say with cyberspace and all, we can do the work of 10 people. So, yeah, you know it's true compared to the it old is. days. Yeah, and uh, you know I, I I now run my own studio, and uh, everyone I work with works in different places around the country, mm -hmm. and uh, and it's it's beautiful that what you can do. Sometimes you need to come together to help finalize something, but right. uh, I I think most everyone works best in the environment in which they feel most comfortable and at home. No. And of course, now with the pandemic, we're all learning yeah. a lot about ourselves. But I mean, this whole idea of remote or location, it's taken to another level, right? I mean, you know, you were being forced to work independently, but it's always been fairly natural, probably for you and certainly for me. Yeah. So, uh, it, it's just a whole new world, you know. So you, uh, I, I learned this on your uh, talk with Brian a few weeks ago, but the NASA rebrand or redesign was one of your first projects at your firm that you did, correct? Um, the, the the firm with uh, yeah with Bruce Blackburn was um, less than a year old when we got the RFP. So uh, 
you were, we were almost still getting acquainted. I mean, we had known each other for years before. We yeah. Together, obviously, you don't do this cavalierly. So, uh, in that sense, but in a real sense, uh, we barely got our feet planted. Uh, Bruce moved into my existing office, and that was a real sweet space. So, you know, that, that was easy. And uh, we, we just, we sort of took off. We, we had some work right off the bat, but this RFP was enough to blow your mind. Uh, and yep. he came in. And in a real sense, there's no way such a small firm should have gotten an assignment like that. But proof is <laughs> in the results. And so yep. that that was really, if this is a different era, then so was that. And, uh, you know, it was great. And, uh, you know, it, it only it only took a, a few weeks to respond. Yep. And it was all done in writing. There was no visuals attached to responses. And bang, we won this thing you know and it's shocking to this day i still can't yeah i think once we got it then we felt like we deserved it you know but yeah. but but the getting it was kind of stunning so to kind of step in to start talking about the actual work of that project um i actually asked one of my best friends arthur who uh actually worked on the dragon capsule that's going up this weekend mm. uh for spacex so um, he is uh, an undergraduate degree in astrophysics. He has a master's degree in aerospace engineering. You know, he's brilliant. He's also from Texas. Um, and I asked him, I said, do you have any questions that I can ask Richard? And um, he posed a very simple and beautiful question. And I think it's a good way for us to start talking about this. But he asked, um, so how did you balance simplicity for production and futuristic design in the process of starting to design the initial logo that became really this, you know, legendary piece of design that is used everywhere. Well, I think in one sense, the environment we walked into, that was the, the world of NASA, was probably a real ally in this because uh, the NEA had done a <clears throat> study, a graphics audit, you know, and they gave us all this stuff that the agency had done. That was their protocol, was to review the agency's work and then in every case, they said, this is terrible stuff. You yep. need to redesign. In fact, it was just true. It wasn't just a matter of uh, elitism or anything like that. It was just that nobody did anything decent. And NASA, shockingly, was one of the agencies that you think would have beautiful stuff. No. They didn't have a single designer on staff, et cetera, et cetera. So um, confronting this, this array of what I call sort of the city dome, uh, you know, it's not flattering to say that, but it, but it was just mediocre stuff. Um, I think we realized, because so widespread with 11 centers all kind of going their own way, really hadn't melded as an agency yet. It was the old NACA. They all had their own uh, purview, and I like to call them fiefdoms. Uh, some yeah. of that is still there, but, uh, but they're a great organization. And um, I think, though, we realized that we're going to have to be pretty strong-willed here, you know, and we're going to need something. It was obvious, too, there was so much debris, but we're going to need something extremely simple. Um, and I think the as we worked through the process, Bruce was a tremendous help on the front end. He'd done a lot of systems work, and as you probably know, he'd done the bicentennial symbol, which NASA liked a lot. Yep. So uh, he just had a, a, a tremendous input on the front end. And, um, you know, we, we just, 
we started with more allegorical things and not, you know, a little closer to the meatball, maybe, you know, telling a story. And then we decided it had to get simpler and simpler. And as we honed it down and we ended up with what amounted to the letter forms. And then the essence of that was, well, how do you project the future in such a simple format mode? Yeah. You know? And, uh, and I think that was very successful, but we went through a lot of machination, you know, trying to get there. And yeah. then have something that was so workable across all of these centers, um, all of them very independent, very talented, very ventual, uh, uh, if you will, and, yeah. uh, and something the headquarters could live with. And so it was a very shocking um, solution to them when, they, when we first showed as it was to us. I mean, you know, yeah. so, wow, we're going to give up that and, and go with something so streamlined, contemporary, and progressive, you know, that almost if you didn't get it, yeah. you know, we were in trouble. And that's the main reason that we did the some 22 dozen uh, applications, yeah. uh, showing it, working through a whole process so they would understand without a doubt this is a program, it's not a badge. You know, they, yeah. everybody's been sick of the contractors are notorious for just sticking it on, man, you know, and making yeah. them and changing it, whatever they From call. meatballs to worms, right? So Yeah, meatball to the worm, which is an interesting story in and of itself. But, um, you know, I think the, uh, as we were asked recently, well, where did that come from? And, and, of course, the term, the worm, came from the, the uh, Florida newspaper, the Sentinel, where they, huh. they they were trying to really knock us down, and it was derogatory yeah. as could be, you know, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then for for years, I think it was derogatory, and finally became a term of endearment. Yeah. So that it's just fine now. I still have a little trouble, but that's okay. Yeah. I don't know if you saw no. yesterday. The boys brought out Jesse and Hamish. Uh, yeah. On the worm. Uh, yeah. It's astounding. And it even surprised me, you know, I've always said for a program that was so entrenched, and I mean total, yeah. in, in the public's mind, and yeah. all this, um, that how, how would you rescind that? But one guy did. Yes, <laughs> yes, as we famously know. many stories like this, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting, so I want to get into two aspects of this. The first off is that, you know, I went to Embry-Riddle, um, I studied aerospace engineering in my program, considered to be one of the best, you know, aerospace in the world. A lot of the people I worked with, uh, you know, na uh, teachers and uh, instructors and lab techs uh, worked at na worked with or for NASA at one point in their mm -hmm. career. And all of them, I'd say 95% loved the work. And so it's interesting that, you know, when they went back to the meatball, they claim that, you know, everyone wants this back and no one likes these things. And everyone I talked to was like, no, we, we loved the way the, the worm looked and was. And, and the biggest thing that I want to give you props for is that the, the NASA style guide, which I've seen PDFs of, I've, I have the book, the standards manual. Um, and uh, I've seen some, some portions of the original just that just float around my campus forever. Um, and it is not only, in my opinion, the best designed standards manual that I've ever seen, period, but it's the only one that really exists 
for an engineering organization and engineers like instructions. And so you can give this manual to the most technical, least creative, least artistic engineer you can find, and they'll be able to understand, okay, I know exactly where to put the logo. I know exactly how this uh, should look. And I know exactly how to make this look like we're bringing the future today, right? And I think that what you achieved uh, in that manual is something that still hasn't really been done anywhere else. Um, it it, it uh, does stand alone a bit as it's somewhat unique, and there's a lot of tutorial in it. So you hit the nail on the head. We knew that that was a need, but we also knew that, uh, you know, the engineers that you work with, and I've had pretty good success over the years working with that crowd. It's not just NASA, yes, you do. a lot yeah. of other experiences. And partly because I suppose of my own background, but partly because I'm willing to meet somewhere in the middle and, and, and talk, keep an open mind. Uh, yeah. They are, they are as, as I think you probably agree, very talented bunch. They are headstrong. Uh, yes. they, I, I always Incredible. said that if the engineer was going to build a boat in his backyard, it would be the best creeping boat ever built. You know, they're very confident. They, they, they do think they have a great range, and they often do. So if you respect that, and, and the key is getting them to respect you, that maybe you're a pro, you know, that you're not just yeah. um, driven by aesthetics or, yeah. or gut, uh, which is not only the case in NASA, but with many general dynamics and uh, uh, other clients that I work with, the engineering. FAA, and, too? FAA, uh, and 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 really, uh, United Technologies, probably on down, it became yep. a kind of a natural relationship. If you don't yep. enter into it with a lofty view or elitist yep. view, but rather one of, of uh, colleagues and partnership, uh, yeah. you can do some very good work together. And I yes. think maybe because um, not because I started in engineering, because I'm just interested in how things yep. work and what they're built on. And if you don't have substance in this world of branding identity, you don't yep. have much. I'm sure you recognize a lot of peripheral stuff that we see today that's just yep. a, a second lifespan. You know, it's just here and gone, and, and it has no uh, substance. So that's why timeless design is sort of my mantra. And, and, uh, and I think that applies to these sorts of assignments. And yeah. certainly to style guides. Absolutely. And I think we were really trying to create a working document back then that maybe makes it stand out even in the, in the world of publications today. Uh, oh, it's, it's still oh, legendary. <laughs> and, you, and you know, Rob, I'm, I'm so the numbers on the uh, Kickstarter were astounding. You know, they went yeah. up to a million bucks and, and, uh, that never been done before, but we're in our fifth printing on the manual, as yep. I mentioned, Brian's saying, and um, it's just like almost no stopping it. It's yep. fascinating. And with what's going on now, you're probably just going to sell more of them. So we will, and and I think they're uh, I, the worm book is going to. It even surprised me because I had I've always said, well, our program was three-dimensional and it was total and it, it had weight and substance and gravitas but I didn't realize how deep it ran until uh, Amy started putting some of this stuff together he researched it and boy, yeah. put it together it's fantastic um, it makes it even more startling that 
that Dan Gordon would keep six almost yeah. on a whim. But, but it's interesting also, I mean... All ego. You, yeah, but I don't want to take your questions away from you. Yeah, <laughs> but, for sure. But, you know, the fact that, 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 that it's resurfacing again. Oh, I mean, I wanted to make one other point to what you... What sure, you said. yeah, please. About why people said they liked it so much. Well, the schism in the agency was old and, and young. And mm-hmm. so the old guard did like the meatball much better. But all the guys coming up were just so enamored with it. So now you do finally see this other generation yep. coming up who grew up with the, with our logo. And um, yep. it's pretty overwhelming, uh, including not only just the administrator of the agency. That's, that's just another version of the same thing in a way. Yep. But the flight directors of the agencies now are these kids that grew up in the organization. So yep. it's logical that the ones that yep. were most strongly in favor of it now are in charge. And as a matter of fact, I'm without uh, spilling any beans, I'll be heading down to. I, I gave a wonderful talk at, uh, or to a couple at uh, JPL. And yep. uh, that was one of the great experiences for me. And now I'm, I'm, I'll be going back to Johnson Space Center soon. And I can oh, tell you that, amazing. that was sort yeah. of the, the scene of the crime for years. Oh, for ago. sure. Yeah where they were really having trouble with it. And, uh, and now, open arms, it's, it's incredibly rewarding. It is. It's, it's not that we're throwing out the baby with the bathwater or the meatballs not yeah. gone. But yeah. it's finally resurfaced where everybody can talk about it. And, yes. Uh, it's healthy. It is healthy. And, you know, I do have to thank you because I discovered the standards manual when I was in college. And I was searching for the NASA logo uh, for a presentation that I had to make. Um, and I was always, uh, I always did well in engineering school because most engineers, as you know, just like they care about content and not mm-hmm. what a polish. So, so the presentations, yeah, yeah. yeah, presentations in my school would normally be very, very useful, but would look like garbage. And so mm-hmm. I always spent my time making sure I, like they looked presentable and good. And so when I'd use the NASA logo, I refused to use the meatball and I wanted to use the worm one. And then when I Googled that, that's when the PDF of your um, manual came to the forefront of my Google search. And I spent, I think I read the entire thing front to back a few times immediately. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and I have to tell you um, and give you credit for that, that manual was the first time in my life I realized that I probably was going to utilize engineering, but not be a brick and mortar lab technician engineer. Yeah. Uh, well, and so thank you that. for giving that. Yeah. Yeah, that's tremendous. Well, you're carving out a really unique uh, niche. And uh, so it is is very rare to have both interest in both. And uh, yeah. you know, it's 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 a it's going to be much more important in the future. And it, it so I, I, the meeting of these worlds and the, and the kind of uh, not only just colleagues working together, but um, the synergy that comes from that sort of thing. It's the way it's going to be. And, it is. Uh, so I think it's very exciting. I'm, I'm glad that I'm still standing, you know, so that I can appreciate. Yep. And I see this happening. And I'm experiencing it. I mean, it's... Uh, it's incredible. It's it's not out of... I'm not talking out of shop to say that uh, that, I, that I have signed an agreement. I'm working with NASA again. Yeah. Uh, you know, and... Which is amazing. It's really just to look at all this and... Uh, yeah. See how uh, the logo might apply past the DM2 um, usage, which, which I think SpaceX has done a beautiful job of 
yep. applying it very carefully. Yes. And all, but with great respect, and uh, you know, it's it's kind of a tough thing to come out and not make mistakes, and uh, yeah. they've just done a beautiful job. Well, you can thank Elon for that because Elon is one of the few, uh, uh, you know, visionaries in that field. You know, SpaceX has an in-house design team. You know, mm -hmm. now. Um, yeah. and that's rare. That's rare. So, so, so rare. You know, you, you, people rag and this and that. You know, I they're like, give me a break. Yeah. I mean, how many people walking the planet that yeah. dream dreams and then implement them and, you know, yeah. so far ahead? And it won't so, let anyone like get in their way. You know? On television last I say, well, he reinvented the car, uh, then he moved off. Well, that's the way I look at it. I mean, yeah, sure, he's eccentric and this and that. And, and why wouldn't you be if you, if you, can, <laughs> if you can see things? Yeah. In the future, this clearly you're going to be somewhat eccentric, I believe. Yes, <laughs> more than I, I am. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. It's um, and then and when you go down to Johnson, um, one person who I'm sure you'll interface with is Norman Knight, who's the head of the Human Spaceflight Office. Ah. Um, he is a he is a friend. Um, he went to Embry Riddle where I went, and I see him every year at homecoming. He comes back because he's on the board of visitors, but. Uh, he is a he is a great human, and I'm really excited that you get. To, he actually just celebrated last week his 30th year at NASA. Um, it's amazing so, how many people yeah. have really logged it in. And uh, one of our biggest supporters at JPL was Dave Duty, who was a yep. chief flight engineer for uh, Cassini. And uh, you know they they're they're just tremendous supporters, and they're yep. bright as hell. And uh, you know. And a lot of years, I mean, you think about it, where would you go? Yeah. This is about as good as it gets. And of course, sure, there were a lot of down years. Now it's getting yep. excited, and that's man's space flight. Mm -hmm. As soon as yep. this kicks in, everybody gets excited. <laughs> yeah, right out my window, you know? like High <laughs> risk, yeah, you're down there. No, yeah. I get that. I, in fact, I'm very impressed with that. I I understand it's a key to, to, to your career even, but... Uh, uh, the the pandemic pandemic is with us, so uh, it shows some yeah. uh, fortitude on your part. Well, I I appreciate that. Um, kind of switching gears very slightly, but still staying in the same track. Um, I'm I'm gonna steal this question from a friend because we were actually talking about your logo and your brand book, and I asked him the same question. Do you have any questions for him? And you know, he he asked a question. He says, you know, all all designers, all artists, all people, I always want to know the same thing which is when you look at the Falcon 9 that's going to take up the Demo 2 mission, for example, and they, I think, as you said, did a very beautiful job of putting the, the NASA worm logo, uh, you know, like really well-sized, really well-placed, like right in the center body of the, of the main rocket thruster. Um, what do you see? Because a lot of us see uh, have different connotations associated with the NASA worm logo, but when you see your work up there or something like that, like what, what do you see? Does that make sense? Yeah, well, um, it's interesting because this was mostly a surprise, you know, that there yeah. was no consulting back and forth. forth but on the, on the other hand, there was a, there were rumors afloat, and there were we knew things. I mean, they, they placed a call to me uh, months ago about the confirming the NASA red. So obviously, I know something's up. But, <laughs> but I heard yeah. more, uh, as they say, rumors before that. Had no idea that SpaceX had been thinking about it for a year and a half, you know, and yeah. kind of subtly making plans. Uh, 
when I saw it, well, it's just thrilling, you know. So I'm yeah. not being academic about it. But I do know that at some point I was asked an opinion about, for instance, letters breaking them apart and stacking them. You know, SpaceX yeah. does that because they have individual letters. Um, and I said, absolutely not. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. and this was going against the grain, and I know where it was coming from. But, yep. but you know, the essence of that is, I mean, when you have interconnecting letters, like it's so simple, you have to you have to respect it, yeah, and the integrity of it, leave it alone. Yep. So, in the manual, just speaking directly to your question about the rocket, there, uh, we didn't allow it to be used vertically, and and I changed my mind on it. Because I said, rather than break up the letters, I want to use it vertically, you know, do it on the yep. base so that it's accelerating up. And mm -hmm. um, they have the best of both worlds. And when you put SpaceX logo on one side and then it's a logo on the other. Yep. So when I see other people, I mean, even in this committee work we're doing, I don't have to design everything, you know. No. Fact, at this point, it's 45 years later. So um, I kind of move on to other, we have some lovely little projects going now that, that have piqued my interest. So I'm content when people use it well, Yeah. I'm, I'm maybe happier because that's yeah, what yeah. the point was all along. If, yeah. it's gonna, if it has a chance to be generational, then mm -hmm. it's the most satisfying thing in the world. Uh, the opportunity is always there to make mistakes. Yes. I thought that when I saw it on a rocket, I was just thrilled because SpaceX blew the doors off yeah. and said, we're going to do this. And then they did, as you know, it's on the mm -hmm. it's on the, the delivery car, it's in the walkway. And uh, that, that's pretty ambitious for bringing yep. it back, you know. And uh, I, I really have to thank them for that. But uh, so I thought it was a, a good use. It's smaller than I, in real life, than I thought it was. Yeah. But it's there. And, yeah. and, and that's the coming out. And then now other contractors will be talking to them over the months. And uh, as we are to NASA now. And as I say, yeah. it's just, it's honest because it's down on the table. Yeah. Um, some people will do some awful things with it. You know, you've seen all this. There are mm -hmm. a thousand fonts already of the entire. Yeah. I always discourage that, but, but they <laughs> still do it. And, yeah. uh, you know, I do think it, uh, in, in the book that I've been working on, it, I have a thing called copycat culture. And there are mm -hmm. just examples of people that have copied it since day Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and in one sense, it's flattering. In another sense, I mean, uh, Jesse Reed said, uh, it's interesting that they do it, but they never do it as well <laughs> yeah and i thought that was really flattering but that's that's you know i i think the the example that um i always give is you know in my opinion probably the most copied piece of you know music that has always done terribly is you know when hendrix performed the the national anthem at woodstock no. on his guitar everyone just wants to pull out a guitar I, and do it but there's only one everyone but yeah. you know, it doesn't work as well no that's it still doesn't. the landmark yeah, exactly. And, but the same thing with your and your logo, right? Like it's, it's easily, it's the landmark. No one, I think, questions it at this point. Um, and, and I think that has to feel really, really good, right? <laughs> so yeah. 
it, it is it is extraordinary because whether whether this uh, suspense saga had ever come into play or not, you know, if if it hadn't been scuttled um, yeah. and it just carried on, well, then we just have a continuing theme and an expanding uh, yeah. uh, repertoire. But I think that when they took it away, and I think that uh, Michael Beirut made a point when we did our uh, uh, interview in New York, yep. uh, that that he said, if it's this good and this elegant, you can't take it away. That was his point. No. And then, okay. so that's how I feel, but I made a, a, an addendum to that thought, was it never went away. No. Because it has more legs today than it did then. And yep. the other part of it was that everybody just saw it as a, some cruel joke, you know, you're playing. I got letters from all over the world saying, yep. what kind of idiots would be running it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he used some pretty bad language. Yeah. And I never got into that. No, you should I couldn't afford to, you know, I just yeah. wasn't to work. But I agreed, <laughs> nonetheless. Yeah. Sure. And, you know, so they said... Uh, so in in effect, all we're doing is uh, maybe righting a wrong and uh, trying to make it uh, reasonable now, and uh, that's the part that's so exciting. That you know, usually um, having been through some uh, you know a terrific medical bout recently, uh, I feel so yep. lucky to be standing and to see this happen. You know, yep. it's it couldn't be better. There are a lot of other good things happening in my life, but this is this is really kind of singular. Yes, yeah. it's it's hard to explain, you know, but it's gratifying. And I want to get to the the medical bout in a second, but um, the last point I want to touch on is that with you know them taking away your logo and bringing back the meatball, I, you know, I think in the grand scheme of things, um, you may have different opinions, but like I'm I'm glad it happened because it, it created this, it allowed your logo to become like the 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 flag of the rebels right like elon has always said like he he preferred that logo always and always use other stuff like i and all my school stuff i always use that nasa logo um even you know i worked on a project with nasa at school and we tried to put the worm on our satellite being launched by nasa and they were like no you have to use the ball we were like we want to use the cooler one so i think that you know you always created this you know it, it and it's unfortunate for you know what it did at the time but i think that it it, what it does to the story overall um, makes it a better makes it a better story, and I think it gives the logo more power and permanence. You know, and I think without a doubt, and what I was saying to Michael was that um, it enhanced it and uh, increased its value. Without yep. in trying to just take it away and rub it out, for sure, uh, it became more valuable somehow to the public. Absolutely, and there was a clamor, and it carried on been going on for decades. I can't. Yep. I can't really tell you how much uh, volume I've had to deal with. It was to the point where I, I would never say anything on the net because that's a no-win. You know, I'm not yeah. going to get into any yeah. of that crap. It's a black hole. Uh, but, but, you know, for every graduate student from Germany or, or England or Asia that wrote me in, I'd send them a package <laughs> of stuff and they yeah. could write the dissertation on it. Come on. And the publishers all over the world. Uh, it just seemed to take on greater and greater importance yeah. and value. And that's exactly what happened as you were describing it. it um, and now to reinstate it, even in a controlled way, 
um, I think a lot of people, and that's the way the mail has been coming, you know, the messages online. Yeah. Are, so finally, you know, finally, we're getting it back, you know. And they're always somewhat younger, and that's, for me, and there's another aspect, which is yeah. when NASA opened up the apparel thing about five years ago, I think this is when the message really came home loud and clear. They, they started yeah. applying the logo to that and uh, selling all over the world. Oh, yeah. Always young people. Yep. Always. And they didn't grow up with it. They just think it's cool. Absolutely. And that's yeah. a hard thing to achieve. I mean, I don't, I really respect that. And so uh, this is another aspect of it. I think they've just watched the numbers and decided that why fight it, you know? Yeah. Let's go with it. And, Why not? Uh, there will be a lot more products. It looks better. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. It looks better. Yeah. Well, uh, I like to say without spilling the beans, uh, one of uh, the guys on the committee is looking at, at things that I think will be tremendous sellers if they publish it, you know, and, and yeah. get it out there. Um, but, I, but, but I say I don't want to, uh, uh, you know, expose something ahead of its time, but it's just exciting because uh, if, if NASA can uh, keep this open mind, then yeah. I think that the potential is really great. Yeah, and um, you know, one thing that also came into my head while we were talking about this is that, you know, the one thing that you kept from original NASA that I'm really happy you did is the NASA seal, because um, <laughs> I think that that was like one of the original, um, one of you know that was the one thing that I still love, and it's still rarely used, and I think it should be very rarely used. But I think it's still like you know a beautiful original piece of just art. Yeah, it's traditional, all it is. and it's, yeah. it's got a certain integrity to it. I think it, it's yeah. full of imagery, and uh, it actually works beautiful. We put our own certificates and awards and stuff like that. Yeah, and absolutely. Big events, you know, internally, and uh, and that's why I say don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, the original uh, meatball was a bit of a mess and it was impossible to yeah. reproduce it. They yeah. cleaned it up a lot now, you know, and yeah. simplified it so that it looks much better on television and on, uh, on the net. But, um, but you know, uh, everything goes around, comes around, and I guess, uh, I guess we'll find a, a middle ground that works. But uh, yeah. it is true that... Um, you know, we finally reached a point where all of this is possible. And so for, for me, a, a very exciting development, yep. of course. Yep. You know, as, as they say, design has to work, art does not, right? Mm -hmm. So um, speaking of design, um, the last subject I want to talk about with NASA is that uh, SpaceX in general seems to have a really good approach with design and obviously it's it's engineering that is that is building like the bare bones of the design for what things look like um but i think that they have really nailed down like their spacesuits look like the future oh. again right the dragon looks amazing you know you compare it to the boeing starliner the, the yeah. boeing Starliner oh, looks like shit in comparison everything about you know it's, yeah it, it's uh it's heroic i mean i i think the um that to me is a whole different victory, you know. And Anthony Sims is responsible for a lot of that stuff there. Yeah. First time I saw the the helmet and the visor, I almost lost it. My, yeah. I went knee, uh, you know, my knees went weak. It was just so beautiful. It's yeah. what we imagine it to be, and all of a sudden, yes. and that's the whole uniform. My yeah. wife was talking the other day. She said, "My God, has it really changed?" 
It's yeah. yow, because everything looked like it used to look like the <laughs> marshmallow Stay Puff Man, you know? Yeah, the marshmallow man, you know, or <laughs> yeah. you know, Michelin Targa. Yeah. And yeah. and it still does to some degree, but the the cabin, the external shape of the yeah. capsule, the yeah. controls, you know, I yeah. noticed that some of this uh, it's all glass. PlayStation's copied. Yeah. You know, well, it is exactly what you want it to be. I mean, I'm yeah. so impressed with that stuff. I, I told him I've never seen a more beautiful visor. And, of course, it helps to have a little logo right here, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Which, it, which come on, they, they had it a little yeah. bigger, but now it's more. Right. Yeah, that's, that's okay. Yeah. That's possible. Um, have, we'll you met, have you met Elon yet? No. I'm As sure a matter you will. of fact, uh, you will. They they invited me down to the uh, you know the factory, but right as it's a corona hit, yeah. And so I, I haven't even been down there, but it's an open invitation. Sooner or later, you know. Our yeah, you should go. Amy Schmeiser has been there. He's working with them, which is uh, yeah. The boys are like family, and yeah. so uh, I feel like that. If I met, uh, you know, I know that there's Elon is so controversial, but as I say, I'd be a Pretty much an unabridged fan, yeah. Simply because of what what he does, you know, yep. not the way he acts, but uh, you know, he's just tremendous. Uh, I agree with I you. I hope yep. he doesn't self destruct or something, but it really is a remarkable thing. And when you take design, it's interesting what you just said about that. A lot of times, when 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 you just look at the infrastructure, that is to say, the skeleton part of engineering. You can have a pretty uh, fascinating uh, design result from that. But what people have done in the past is to kind of muck it up. And I think yeah, that, exactly. yeah. you know, what Anthony and company have, have done is just, you know, it's the frosting on the cake. It's a, it's a leap ahead by decades. It makes me yes. wonder why we couldn't have done that. Well, you know yourself, the industrial yeah. design has a long time it's been a long time coming. I yep. think graphic design, for instance, gained the respect much sooner. I've always been a big proponent of, of industrial design. Yeah. And they're finally getting the point. Apple has should get a lot of the credit yep. for making uh, yeah. things that are, yeah, I know, I love it. And, you know, stuff we use every day now, we're addicted to it. It's a yes. great product, but, but just yep. look at them. Mm-hmm. And they're works of art. I mean, you know... Uh, Anybody in my family even thinks about getting something other than Mac, they're in trouble, you know. <laughs> yeah, same here. You know what I mean? And and really, yeah. so industrial design rising to that level. Yeah. And SpaceX, I, I want to sit in that cabin. And I, I have a chance. Yeah. You will. Clears you up, will. I will. <laughs> so. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It is. And when you go there, you will. I will make sure you meet my friend. But if you're sitting in the capsule, you probably will, because he he was one of the engineers that worked on the design of the user interface. Um, mm-hmm. So so he got to do with that. So his name is Arthur, but uh, I'm sure you'll meet him. But when you go down there, let me know, and I will make sure oh, that you two interface. Yeah, that is great. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, he owes me a tour too, so maybe maybe I'll try to line up my tour when you go down, and maybe I'll, I'll get to meet you as well. well uh, that'd be fun. Seattle is not that far. Yeah. No, it's not. And and you're in Napa, correct? You're up in north yeah. of SF. Yep, lovely. It's Beautiful a close area. shot. Yeah, really. Yeah, it is. 
Um, so I guess going off the technology you just mentioned, how so you mentioned in your our chat with Brian that um, pretty much all of um, the original drawings inside the National Standard Manual, Standards Manual were, were hand drawn and were used um, through projection and, and different means. And so my guess is, how have you embraced technology over the past few decades to help you, you know, get the work and fulfill the vision you have in your head? Well, it, everything was uh, analog in those days, and and it was laborious, extremely difficult, gratifying when you, if you get the right people working on it. But all these thousands of, of drawings of airplanes and aircraft and satellites and, and, you know, after we completed NASA, or really not completed at all, but got the core yeah. manual done, we picked up the Department of Transportation. We won that competition. And then yeah. there was a subset for Federal Aviation Administration out of that. So there were more and more vehicles, more and planes and more everything. So through all that and then ultimately with the Corps of Engineers, it was analog to the whole thing. Yeah. Now, having said that, you'd be hard-pressed to, to know it, I think, to look at the manuals, but the reality yeah. is it would have been so much easier uh, if we yeah. had computer assist. Somewhere along the line, I guess, when, when the computer <coughs> just started coming in, I was still in New York, um, we jumped on it pretty fast. A lot of my yeah. uh, colleagues bailed out and they said, well, um, you know, that's just one thing too many. So uh, we kept going and we set up and I even had, um, all my staff had uh, stations and, and then they, they bought me one because I was leading the band sort of. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so they ended up bought one and you put it right outside my office. Yeah. I pretended I didn't have enough room inside the office. <laughs> and I never used it. Well, yeah. when we finally left New York, which was uh, 1995, uh, my wife and I both did tutorial on it. And in a month's time, I was on the computer full time. Yeah. Well, since then, to make a long story short, um, yeah, we do everything on it. Our, our main uh, applications or support software are, um, you know, Photoshop and Illustrator. Yeah. Um, I still work in... Express partly because it's uh, it is more complicated and a lot of people hate it, but but I think it still can yield a more professional, you know, a higher level of uh, of uh, acuity and and really sophistication. But um, essentially, we were all in it from day one and um, yep. have remained to be. So that's why my little illusion or a, a reference to two people doing the work of ten. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is what we do. We have we have uh, not only our studio and our home, but we have uh, computers in every bedroom. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. and some of them are are getting a little old. But um, the only That's tricky fine. part is that you know, and, and and you will appreciate this is just staying current with the software. Yeah. Uh, because you know, a long time ago, I remember uh, participating in a big seminar in which. Uh, <clears throat> They said that some of the printers won't use anything but PDFs, and I said, "Oh my God, what are you, what are you talking about? Of course, <laughs> it's all come to be." <laughs> he yeah. said, that "China is a, yep. it's the ultimate PDF," and um, and I think that so you, you have to know it, or you kind of have to get out. And and by yep. the way, since that creates this whole argument again of yep. uh, 
Palestine education and all that. I kind of come down to the side of the concept is the most important thing you ever have to, to work with, your ideas and all that. Yeah. And to not get into technology uh, in the first year or like that. Yeah. Just work, work on skills and, and your mind. Yeah. And uh, I still adhere to that. Uh, so that it ends up still being more support. And if you're doing a Gulfstream 2 drawing, it can yep. be done in a jiffy. You know, uh, yeah. 25% of the time. Yeah. Um, it, it gets a little cumbersome. I mean, a little bit problematic, like in architectural work where they're they're doing buildings and things, but your plans are still like 1114 or, yep. you know, you can take it too far where you can't even read the thing. The lines are a little too fine. But, but yep. still, it's remarkable. And then you send it around the world, you know, and it's there in yep. two seconds. So uh, there are a lot of advantages to that. And as I say, we we got on it early, and uh, it's been a great asset. So when you start sketching out an idea, do you still use, uh, you know, what's your medium? Do you prefer pen and paper still? Do you use like an iPad? Do you do anything like what? What's what? Do, what do you do? What do you do? Legal pad and two uh, B pencil. Awesome. I love that. But I'm very, I work very fast. Uh, I yeah. will say that's probably too fast sometimes, but uh, I, I'll sketch out a thing you can't even, or somebody else couldn't recognize it maybe. Yeah. Uh, I used to be quite the draftsman, but I, now I just, I just want to document what I thought. And yeah. Then yeah. So you don't lose I, it. Yeah. I spend less and less time on it, but I always start that way. Never start with detailing. You know, yeah. Because that'll come and you can make it prettier and prettier, but uh, but basically, it's still the idea yeah. uh, that dominates. You know. Yeah, and I I try to go full iPad. I for about a year I did it where I just I, I did all my notes, all my drawings on there. But I just learned that I still love that feeling of putting a pen on paper for me personally, right? Um, and you know when I was working with Brian, the you know him and I we spent you know many many late nights together making all of his keynote speeches for about a two year period oh yeah and um his method is he has legal size white paper and a mm -hmm. sharpie and that's what he does is he he'll, he'll he'll fly through these papers and and i got to a point where just like you like i could understand what he was saying but it was like it was such shorthand because he yeah. was just trying yeah. to get it all out of his mind onto the paper before he lost it um yeah. And yeah, that's, I think that's true brilliance, very right? Spontaneous. So, I would say yeah. that's, uh, and, and I've spent less of it. But if you, after six decades, if you can't speed up as an editor, yeah, yeah. there's something wrong. So, sure. I mean, yeah. you already know in, in your gut when a thing is not going to work out or it's, yeah. it has potential or this or that. So I think that's why you can do that very immediate and then move on to the next thing. And of course, when you have a big firm like you're describing, that's a yeah. necessity too, because time is just incalculably, uh, yeah. you know, valuable. Important. Yeah. And uh, so, so I think it helps. But I, even from the standpoint of like the students, and I think this has been a trend in education for the last decade or so, to make sure that they can draw and communicate that way, and just even even if they're very very loose, you know, that they um, uh, they they start that way and, and work it through before they get on the keyboard, you know, and, and yeah, yeah. finesse it too much because yeah. it's, that's backwards, you know. So as yeah. a tool, it's magnificent, absolutely magnificent. It's almost cliche to say that, but uh, we couldn't do it. And, and, and also, I mean, just 
we did an interior in uh, Saudi Arabia. I mean, it was just, you couldn't even think about that one back in the yeah. era where we were working at, where you couldn't get something uh, on the other side of the world within a week. Yeah. You know, if you got there at all, DHL or yeah. whatever it took. I mean, so now with, the, it's dangerous too now to show everything as yeah. online as PDFs, but but yeah. still it makes uh, presentations a lot easier. It does. You did that logo. It's like the really famous, it's like kind of like a Palm logo, the, the Saudi logo, right? You did that, correct? Which one are you talking about? The Saudi logo? Uh, no, we did. We didn't do the logo. We did a got it. A bunch of progress reports for a new city of uh, fifty thousand diplomats. Okay. Unbelievable project. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we, and then we we used that symbol on the on the cover. Yeah. I yeah. don't know who did it. Okay. Cool. Um. So I guess transitioning slightly. Um. To someone that's maybe in the age range of sixteen to twenty. Um, and has some technical aspirations like you do, but also is interested in design and creation and just, you know, helping progress, you know, the future of our species. What, what advice would you give them? Um, the simplest advice of all, if we can exclude for the moment this incredible tragedy that we're experiencing where any college graduate is faced with something incredibly uh, almost tragic just in terms of career possibilities. Yep. But in, if you can separate that or say that we'll, we will get through that, I think the, the main thing, and it's absolutely cliche, so forgive me, is that regardless of what parents say, and then they always say you've got to have a job. Yep. You know, everybody's going to hear this. Um, for me, it's, it's still always about following your heart and and you know if you you have a vision of some kind whatever that might be some people takes a lot longer to find out what that is um try to hear your inner voice and and try to separate without being antagonistic with especially with parents um, yeah to do what you think you happy doing and in the yeah. end and i'm talking about 50 60 years here happiness is all that matters Yes. In the end, if you're happy, you're probably going to do very good work. Yes. Uh, and if you love the work, it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. And I'm fortunate in that sense that I uh, adore this um, activity, just as I do music, but in particular uh, graphics and design. And uh, it's 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 really what I wanted. And yeah. Uh, I was fortunate to be able to work with engineers and and directors yeah. and and industrial designers and uh, editors and you know through a whole career of very intelligent people who probably made me better you know and i think they enhance your whatever your natural abilities are yeah i think if if you just there was a time i know when i was back in school the only people who interviewed on classes um on campus were um science and engineering related. Yep. That's when I started in college. By the time I graduated, none of the, these companies came to the campus to interview. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, arts and, arts and things like were starting to blossom and there were possibilities. So I didn't look like such an idiot, you know, for <laughs> changing fields. 
And I think that's uh, part of it. It's very fickle. Yeah. Fortunately, I think we live in a world where um, you don't have to have one career, you know, and yeah. just stay with it for 50 years, you know, because yeah. we all move around a lot now. We're very mobile. And, uh, and it's also possible. I think experiences of young people, even in design schools, to come out and do other things and to get better. Yeah, I, I think that I learned a tremendous amount from and was, you know, fortunate enough to go from four years of rigorous engineering to learning the ropes of, you know, New York retail and architecture to then working for Brian Collins. And so like getting both sides of that equation, I, I'm, I know I'm incredibly, incredibly, incredibly fortunate for like the people mm -hmm. I've met um, and the lessons I've learned from them, because I, I don't know, I think that if I stick with, stuck with engineering, I'm probably wouldn't be as happy as I am now which is just mm -hmm. an honest, it's, it's a hard thing to admit when you spend, when you grew up wanting to do one thing and you try it and you're like, I like this, but it isn't the thing, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and well, to nice, find that, that thing, you know? The nice thing about it, I mean, you're like already the Renaissance man, okay? In other words, <laughs> you're doing a vast number of things. Now, it, it, Along the way, you'll find this path more interesting, and you can develop that further or another one. But yep. uh, a lot of people are, by by contrast, are are true specialists. Yes. And you're kind of the antithesis of that. Okay. I, I love believe that. specialization is for insects. Yeah. I love that part, and and yeah. and so I think that's the kind of world we're entering, where yeah. if you're nimble and you 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 really have the intelligence, IQ, to just move and, and go with whatever. Uh, really uh, attracts you and, and, and makes you better. Um, yep. And, you know, for me, I mean, you know, I did spend most of my career doing, not yeah. lockstep, but, but doing kind of the same things with just different size firms. Yeah. And that changes the equation a lot and the, and the yep. uh, matrix. But, um, but nonetheless, uh, and Brian wanted me to show this, sometimes I I question whether it's a good approach or not, um, but he wanted me to show everything, yeah. you know, from the Dallas days on through. So it, it's not a specialty portfolio yeah. by any stretch. Uh, yeah. Quite the opposite, and um, and yet it was very extremely fulfilling, and yeah. uh, and it must have worked. So yeah. I, you know, and I I just didn't want to say in the multinational mega uh, oversized realm forever you know doing especially federal yep. programs just too big just yep. too big and um you know and, and then there's a question of at the end do they adhere to your stuff or not i'm pleased yep. to see that or it was i see the, the book amish is, and jesse are putting together shows that nasa did in fact pretty much do it right yeah, and then, I I would agree with you. It, but uh, who cares? You know, <laughs> it all works out. I think. And so, you and I also share another passion, which you spoke about on the call with Brian, that I had no idea about, which is photography. Mm -hmm. um, do you, how did you? Is this is something you've always done, or did you get into it later in life, earlier in life? No, it's from, from the time I was a kid. I mean, you know, okay, it was, uh, I started with a brownie camera, you know, it was a toy camera almost. But uh, yep. my parents did recognize that if I 
liked it that much. You know, they give me something a little better and a little better. You know, and uh, yep. the time I was in college, I was I, I I was very poor actually, and uh, but I bought an old Hasselblad and then I bought an old Nikon, and uh, I and there was something wrong with each one of them. They were really yep. basically flawed cameras. Yeah. Uh, and finally, when I got out of school, uh, then I really started buying the good cameras. Um, but it, so it's a lifetime pursuit. Yeah. And in other words, I'm shooting all this time, loving it. I'm then terribly fortunate to to in the end be able to work with the world's great photographers. And so yeah. I got to use almost everybody. And um, Magnum became a client, and they had a stable of knockout people, you know, too. Yes, absolutely. So, um, yeah. Then I wasn't shooting for my own jobs. I was um, I was basically using other good, really good people. And then kind of towards the end of my career now, I've used a lot of my own photographs because of smaller yeah. scale, you know, nonprofit. Yep. And so what do, you, what do you shoot on nowadays? Well, I call us the Nikon family. I mean, we all sort of grew up with this stuff. So I have yeah. uh, several cameras that... The best of them, it's still not a pro camera, but a D7000, which is uh, yep. is good enough. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love that lens is out the kazoo, you know. We, yeah. So my my wife and the children all had the same yep. thing. We were like mm -hmm. funny when we go on trips when you had to carry everything. Yeah. We were just loaded down with Nikons. It's not that I'm prejudiced against Canon or anybody else. No. Yeah. Once you start, I just stay with You build it, it yeah. Yeah, and and good. Um, it, what 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 we can do with the phone now is so stunning that it's upset everything. Yes. All my favorite photographers don't shoot anymore, you know. And yeah. of course that's partly because of age, but I mean, you know, it's sad. Yeah. Um, um, the layman and the client can now take yeah. a pretty decent picture. Absolutely. And, uh, unfortunately, it uh, sometimes it's good enough. But it's not like the standards we had in the past. No. And I think that the nice thing about technology coming into consumer grade is that the pro level uh, camera gear is now getting ridiculous. Oh. Um, you know, I, I I actually so I learned on Nikon. My dad is a, my dad's an architect. So he and he, him and you are very similar. Um, you know, he's an architect. He shot um, all through growing up. Big Nikon guy. Um, I always, well, I, I chose Nikon so I could steal his lenses, right? That's why I, that's why I wanted Nikon, right? Sure. Um, so I had D7000 for, uh, for a while, but I recently switched over to Canon mirrorless because of the, the, the lenses they're making for that line are so, so incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. and the color reproduction is, is insanity. So I, the main lens I use um, which is on this massive one, the size of my face is, uh, a, yeah. is a, is a 28 to 70 F 2.0. So you basically have a zoom lens with a portrait level aperture, um, mm -hmm. which is just like, what else do you want? Like that's the lens, you know, you can use it for unbelievable still yeah. life for action for whatever. And so, um, I'm well, sure I'm you and I, excuse me, sorry. And saying? I think the tendency, I mean, the big emphasis on video, I mean, this is dramatic increases in that realm. Um, I'm not really doing uh, video as such. I mean, I occasionally I'll shoot some. My son has almost moved totally towards that. He, he grew up with 
photography too. But mm-hmm. I do think that, uh, I mean, it, it's it's the coming thing, and the equipment is better than better. <laughs> it's yeah. just incredible the advances I think now. They don't price themselves out of the market. I mean, we really have a, a smaller world to deal with because, uh, as I say, the phone has almost taken over. Yeah. Uh, they keep making it better too. So look out. Yeah. Well, I, I think when, um, as an aside, when we get back to a place where, uh, you know, it's appropriate for people to socially interact, um, I, ha- I have an idea to approach you for a while on on making a, a short, like, half video interview, half, you know, something else that we can mm-hmm. talk about off off that. But, uh, you know, I think because I think video is like, you know, podcasts are, are blowing up and they're a great medium. But, um, you know, a video is also nice, um, especially for a younger generation to kind of get, get inspired by. That's what it is, yeah. If you get started with that, you can do some great stuff. I can imagine. Amazing stuff. Some of the school projects are, are pretty stunning. Yep. So um, I do want to quickly talk about, um, so you recently beat cancer. Uh, congratulations again um, and on, on, on that. Uh, that you know, rather talking about that whole process, unless there's something that you want to talk about specifically, um, I have a good friend of mine who recently... Uh, is, is still battling glioblastoma. Um, and every other week it seems to go between the, he has a good chance of living to there's no chance, you know, and it, it goes back and forth. And so, you know, what he has learned personally from this has been amazing. And so he basically set up this website for him that allows him to basically push out the little anecdotes and things he, mm-hmm. he realizes in moments of clarity through this process. Um, so I guess I, I pose the question to you, what, if anything, were the, are the things that you got out of experience about life and living and, and no. you know? No. Well, uh, it, it's a big subject. And, uh, you know, I did have cancer once before, starting in 1999. And uh, it, it, uh, it was bladder cancer, which was the smoker's disease. And yep. I never smoked, but I was around heavy smokers all my life. Yep. And uh, so that, that lasted for about six years, heavy, heavy chemo, BCG, and uh, wow. that was still a relatively, uh, a doctor friend of mine told me at the time, he said, well, if you're going to have a uh, cancer, then bladder cancer is the best one, and yet one of my best friends, Rudy DeHarrick, who's a great designer, he had yep. died of it, the same thing I yeah. had, yeah, because he put it off too long, you know, it's just yep. a great time. Uh, so, the point is, but I did have that experience, and then more recently, starting about two and a half years ago, uh, and I want blame my GP for not catching it, but anyway, I just about collapsed getting to the emergency ward, and I had stage four lymphoma. Oh, wow. Uh, monster B cell. Um, the thing was uh, so far along that the, the doctors didn't think that they could pull it off. So I went through, make it long story short, I went through two different uh, protocols of uh, chemo. And that took about a year, and both were unsuccessful. As a result of that, I was able to go into UCSF, which is a a great institution here. And um, they got me into a a CAR-T program. I don't know if you know Mm -hmm. what that is, but uh, I was lucky in many respects to get into it, but, but very briefly, it's where they take the T cells out of your body, they spin yep. them out with a thing, mm-hmm. and then reprogram them uh, to fight your specific cancer. 
Oh, I just so, watched a documentary on this. Um, yeah, sorry, continue. Yeah, so so in other words, this is very leading edge stuff, and uh, I couldn't have been more excited about it. And uh, after about three weeks, they reprogrammed these bills, put them back in me, and then there was a very rough stint for a while where uh, nobody knew for sure what was going on. But the cells battled the, the cancer cells, and uh, they battled for about uh, five months. And yeah. finally, these little guys, which my uh, oncologist had dubbed the infantry, um, yeah. took down the, the um, terrorists, uh, yeah. which was the lymphoma. So here I, I'm, I'm a walking example of uh, the best of modern science. So it's, yeah. it's very exciting. And I really wanted to be part of this because you know that cancer has been dealt with. Stem cell is a big thing, huge. Yeah. But they mm -hmm. couldn't do that with me because of my age. I was already 85. So, yep. uh, you know, we went the Cartier route, and I'm now, I think, the oldest survivor. Wow, that's <laughs> amazing. That UCSF had. Now, there's only, you know, there are hospitals around the country doing it. John yep. Hopkins and, uh, you know, the best of them. But uh, we, we were part of that program, and it, I became part of a database now of, who can survive yeah. and who can't. I, I know, as sure as I'm sitting here, that it'll come back someday, okay? I'm a realist, but, but this is a stunning story, and I shouldn't be here, but I am. And uh, it's really so exciting, because, uh, you know, that was the only shot I had. Yeah. And um, I'm back to performing again, and it was astounding. Dr. Jim Allison, he has a documentary about him, but he, I'm, I, I believe I'm not wrong, but he was the one who discovered essentially like the T-cell receptor uh, to begin with. Um, and the, if you haven't seen the documentary on him, it's fascinating. Um, he actually won the Nobel Prize for his work, um, I believe three years ago. And he was the first ever person to receive a Nobel Prize for cancer mm. research because no, they, they felt that no one had done something so monumental in the research of destroying cancer until this. And it's amazing that you are able to sit here and chat with me about the future and science and design and technology after being, you know, the recipient of, you know, the people like this, you know? <laughs> like it's got on the planet. Yeah. But you know what it was, Rob, it was just like, for me, it was just a thrilling experience. Some people would probably avoid it like the plague, but you don't have an option. <laughs> Then, but I was just truly excited about it, you know, and, and not just the number, yeah. but uh, the fact that it worked is, uh, yeah. ask me if I really believed it would, well, I keep, I always keep a very optimistic view of things, and I'm sure that helped, but it can't be, it's not enough. That probably was the it, main it, thing it, that kept you It has it. to be a possibility, the science has to be right, and they, they nailed it. I'm a very big fan of the institution, UCSF now, and uh, yeah, it's, it's monumental in the scheme of things, you know, my career yeah. and everything else, mostly for the family. Uh, you know, I've got grandchildren now, extremely close, and it's major, major. Uh, yeah. What can I say? It's, well, uh, it's brought us all closer together. You know? Exciting to hear that. Um, and so from that, you would, uh, would you say there's like one, any, having now had cancer twice, um, did you any, any, come to any epiphanies the second time? that you didn't get the, the first time, you know, being that close to death? Well, I think the second time was was absolutely no surprise. It was just so different and devastating. Uh, it was uh, threatening in a way that the 
first time was not. Uh, they'd overdone the, the treatment on that uh, the first go around, which was 20 years ago, and it yeah. left my immune system kind of just wrecked. Um, yeah. And and that put me behind the eight ball this time around. So it's yeah. not good news, and because of the severity of the disease, that um, you know that nobody said the chances were good. And yeah. the fact that we were able to pull it off is not only thrilling, but it's also uh, quite remarkable as to a commentary on on, on modern medicine. And uh, without a doubt, it's made me uh, much more appreciative of our yeah. world and uh, uh, mostly the, the family and humans, which I've always been into. Um, you know, it's it's never been a super cool thing, you know, where I don't We've always done so much not profit, public good yep. stuff. It explains why, you know, where we, we're really coming from. And uh, so I think it's expanded that feeling of um, for humanity, for, for certainly for friends and, and the family, number one. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, it's, it's heightened the sense of all that. And some people would say for every day, you know, I mean, every day is a gift. That's a, that's a cliche, but but it's true, and I, I, speaking of waking up in the morning, yeah, there is no happier person wakes up in the morning than me, and uh, yeah. I mean, sincerely, it's, 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 I feel, my wife may get tired of it, right? <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm just excited, and, it's uh, amazing, it's really, I love it's that. emotional, and it's, and it's really good stuff, I shouldn't be, well, for a lot of reasons. I mean, my brother, Art, used to say, uh, the one who gave me the trumpet, you know, yep. no, no male in our family has lived past 72. And I said, will you stop talking that way? You know I mean? <laughs> like, it's a death wish or something. Yeah. <laughs> 86 now. Of course, yep. the whole family's gone. But, uh, but you know, I do think that sometimes if you're, it's always been about tomorrow, you know? Yeah. That, that's my most Ruthless favorite. optimism. And, yep. and what's, the horizon, you know, it's yeah, it doesn't shut down in any way, no. and no. Uh, and I think it's it's uh, it's evidence that the, the attitude matters, uh, but it's just it's just so telling now. It's uh, yeah, the interview with you for God's sakes, it's yeah, really important, and to be able to. Well, I appreciate that. We got these tools, you know, which bring us yeah. together. But yep. it's, it's it's so much fun. I mean, I sort of know you before we meet. You know what I mean? And yes, yeah. it's, it's very exciting. And so to dig one level deeper, um, a question I ask a lot of guests that I have on my podcast is, you know, where do you find peace and happiness in your current life? And I understand that you seem to be a very, you know, systemically happy person. But are there certain things that really just bring you unbridled joy? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it more than it ever did before, more than years ago. It stems from family, and uh, I yeah. think, that, and the generations, which which we were always very close. And my wife and I, it goes without saying, if you can, yeah, be married that long, if you can work in business for, for thirty six years or something, and, and uh, most people say they can't do that. You just couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, so so it starts there, um, but but. I would stress again that music has been so important to me, and uh, it's synchronous with the design, and it's, uh, I just say everything's in sync and harmony, 
so that's been extremely satisfying. Uh, my wife and I are very keen on nature, and over the years, yeah. for people who continue to age but never thought of themselves as old, even to this day, uh, we did a lot of big-time hiking. You know, we take trips yeah. to the wilderness and, and uh, Utah and wherever, you know, around the world. Yeah. Uh, and uh, fairly physical, which I served me very well with this last bout, too. Mm-hmm. And we're still doing it, although it's harder and harder. Um, so, you, you know, it's trying to take it all in. It, the the uh, mitigating factor is being pinned down now, isolation. You know, yeah. it, does, it doesn't sync with this whole idea. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to stay positive and doing everything, and everybody's getting a little bit depressed. Um, we refuse to do that. I, we were talking last night saying we think that as a couple, we're way ahead of most people. You know, I would agree. We, yeah. <laughs> we had a shelter for two years before this. You know, we really couldn't do much because of my situation. Uh, but, but, you know, we're literally making the best of it. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm so sorry in a way, not like POTUS who doesn't uh, get involved. Or, or yeah. Or <laughs> Yeah. Um, but he said, damn, you know, I was, everything was going great. And then in this pandemic, you know, uh, yeah. everything, we were cruising. Uh, I, I wouldn't think that way, you know what I mean? No. But uh, no, yeah. it's so, so it's unfortunate, though, that we can't bust out and see each other. And, you know, for the time being, it's, I mean, it's nice that we have these tools for sure. Absolutely. Uh, so you can be in Seattle, I can be here, or we can be on the other side of the world, and you still do it. Yeah. Uh, but I, like anyone else, look forward to, to really busting out and when it's safe, as they say. Yeah. Uh, much sooner. Yeah. yeah, and then and then going able to being able to go down to L.A. and sit in the Dragon Capsule yourself. I think yeah, sit uh, in, that... sit in. Well, Hamish has already told me that it was just a great, great experience. I mean, yeah. I've been in the Apollo capsules. I've been in, you know. Yep. Uh, Freedom 7, a lot of this stuff, it was a great experience. So when they canceled the other day, yeah, I had this, the SpaceX people were nice enough to invite me into their little Zoom. All the oh, nice. People. And I said, well, they were sagging, you know, after the end. And I said, well, I hate to say it, but, you know, this happened more often than not over the, yeah. the dozen years that I was external design director. I mean, I... Every every liftoff was yeah, nip and tuck and fingernails, yeah. you know. And, um, you know, quite often for the right reasons they had to abort. So for sure. this was the right. And Saturday doesn't look so great either. But um, yeah, that's the Sunday looks good. Sunday looks yeah. good. Yeah, Sunday be fine. I don't know if that yeah. that works with the connecting up there with the space station. I, yeah, so. There is a, um, this is one of the shortest windows that they've had in a while. So it's, it's 1533 Eastern on Saturday and 1500 Eastern on Sunday are the two windows. Ah, okay. uh, so, um, yeah, it, it's, it's nice having a friend that's in SpaceX be, being able to text me when I'm on the ground. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you know um, people like this. Uh, you, yeah. Welcome, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I am right. Um, no, it's but true. I, 
I, I think, uh, yeah, I knew it was scrub the second, you know, we were 10 minutes out and there was lightning striking the pad because I was seven miles away from it. So like I, I could, you oh. know, and, and there, there was liking, lightning striking the pad every few minutes. And I was like, they're not launching in this. They, they can't. Oh, God. Um, Actually, if, if it's even a, a peripheral issue, they, they shouldn't go. I mean, no. especially this time no. because it's yeah. all eyes are on it again. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's an enormous deal. Yeah. And, you know, you know, you can't just cross your fingers and, and fly through that stuff. So they've got to be yeah. extra careful, I think. And there is precedent, unfortunately, in NASA's history for rushing decisions to launch when That's they shouldn't right. have and massive disasters they, happening. Terrible price for the two I can remember, the O-rings and the... Yeah, and Challenger the and Columbia. Uh, you know, yeah. Two of our shuttles down, you know. And, uh, you know, the one people usually forget about Apollo one, you know, that was that was just negligence as well. You know, like three three men burned alive because of poor wiring because they didn't think it was important. You know, I got to tell you that that probably hit as hard for me because it's fairly early on. But it was uh, a You know, I know if it exploded on Challenger, you know, Charlie, the tuner jokes and just awful stuff. But think about burning alive. Um, yeah, you know they yeah. never even got off the ground, and uh, and they were experienced astronauts. I mean, oh yeah, Ed White and Gus Grissom. Ed White being the first man in space, yeah. Gus Grissom being the first engineer in space, the second person yeah. ever in space. Yeah. Brilliant. You've you know? done your homework. Yeah. Okay. No, that hit this me. This is really my life. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. And it set the program back for years. You know. It it did, and so um, another podcast I'll send you. But the third podcast I ever did was with my advisor from college, and he was head mm-hmm. of the liquid propulsion division at Edwards Air Force Base. So he oh, was yeah. on the he was on the board of people that tells them to, you know, if they should launch or not. Um, and the morning of Challenger, he's like, don't launch. Um, and, you know, he gets very emotional. He's like, those are my friends on there. You know, like I had I had lunch in the cafeteria with those guys. You know, um, I knew I knew their husbands and wives. We had dinner together. You know, like we would call each other on Christmas. Christmas you know, like those are my down. friends. Teacher, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's um, true, and uh, you know, in, in a larger sense, I think NASA at various times did uh, got too casual and too. Uh, I did. I mean, there was, there was too many people, probably, you know, doing the Absolutely. same stuff and overlaying and and uh, taking chances. So these things had to happen, maybe, but boy, it, it, it's devastating, and uh, you know, and it carried on. The foam one yeah. was just as shocking and. Yeah, I was working outside on the on Cape Cod on my on, on my uh, landscaping, and yeah. uh, when uh, you know uh, Columbia blew up over Texas, but these yeah. things are just indelibly etched, and yeah. and you know maybe you need it, but a lot's changed since then, and we'll see what comes of it. We got to be beyond careful. Yeah, you know uh, the the I get asked a lot by people. You know, what are the odds of failure for, you know, SpaceX launches and things like that? And, you know, I usually I usually say two things. I say um, just like the FAA would say every disaster, every year we learn more, get more data, things become safer. Um, And that's just naturally how how it happens. Um, And the second thing I always quote, there's there's a John Young, John Young being the um, you know, he was Apollo 16. He was the first man to ever fly the space shuttle in space. He was a Gemini astronaut. Um, he went up with Gus Grissom on Gemini 8, I believe. Um, but he has this quote, 
And, you know, he was the first one that was going up on the space shuttle. And they all asked him, they said, oh, what do you think the odds are of your survival and things like that? And he's like, people kept telling me my odds of dying. And I, he would just look at them and go, you know, anyone who thinks they can estimate the chance of a machine with two million parts exploding or not is probably smoking something they shouldn't be. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> this is so and true. so, and, on, and I, right? Yeah, yeah, and I was like, "That's perfect. Like, I, that's all I want." As a, as what I'll say, it's like, look, like the they they know what they're doing. Um, there's an assumed risk with anything like this. Oh, anything. Um, Walking down the street, but, sure. You know, SpaceX has an incredible history of safety, and um, you know, the, a, a story I will tell that is declassified from my friends at SpaceX is that, um, you know government contractors have long time basically overcharged to build something really simple because it has to withstand everything that could possibly yeah, happen. Yeah, and so SpaceX refused to do that. They refused to buy the million dollar radio from some company that already made one for NASA and built one themselves off, off of parts from eBay for $3,000. And so, <laughs> and so NASA had to go and retest. Boy. Yeah. NASA, NASA said, okay, fine. If you do this, we're going to retest every single one of your, your equipment. And, and SpaceX was like, fine, if you want to delay, that's fine. So NASA went through, tested every single thing. Apparently, SpaceX built all the same hardware that, that NASA was buying for about 8% of the cost. Yeah. Eight, 8%. And well, NASA, after testing it, found out that all the hardware uh, exceeded the specifications of all the NASA government hardware. It was better. And this is stuff made off of Radio Shack parts, you know? And so, you know, I love that. And it's like, it's, it's well, perfect. of course, I mean, and, and, yeah. and of course, it's all very comprehensible because, well, I mean, we knew this, right? But here's yeah. exhibit A of why it had to come to this and why, yeah. why we need, for those people who were opposed to a commercial contract or work, I mean, it had to come to this. There was yeah. too much waste, you know, yeah. and I'm as a big fan of NASA, but they, they all admitted. Absolutely. Yeah. Internally. And yep. uh, it seemed like there were always eight people doing the same work. I mean, uh, but but now I'm, we're finding a pretty good path now. I think yep. I'm so proud of SpaceX for that. Yep. Obviously, we're all nervous about Boeing, and uh, you know, for good yep. reason. But they're just not going to get their shot if, if if they can't come through here. You know. But the problem is, is uh, I didn't think about this until my friends at SpaceX cued me in. Um, SpaceX is really rooting for Boeing to succeed. They, they need Boeing to succeed because if Boeing can't succeed in making the Starliner work, then SpaceX will be the only ones that can send people to space. And that doesn't sound like a bad thing for SpaceX, but not only does it hurt the industry overall, but those capsules SpaceX has in the works building right now that they would have to then use for those NASA missions are the ones that they want to use to send people to the moon. And send yeah, people to right. Mars. And so if you if you delay, if Boeing gets delayed, that basically delays SpaceX from yeah, going to places. Not good for them. That's true. Yeah. Absolutely spot on, I think. And that's why, you know, we're, we all pull for, for Boeing. Yeah. But my Lord, they've just had a, their recent history. Is, it shakes you up. Uh, you, you know, know I, have a, I have a good friend of mine. She's a software engineer at Boeing. Um, and I'm going to try to podcast with her next week because... You know, there's been a lot of change there, and she has to be really careful what she says and not. But um, that's true. There is, there is. You know, I I asked her. I said, you know, what's the culture like nowadays? Because clearly, there's a culture about money over safety and ingenuity. Versus SpaceX is all about, you know, 
we're going to do the right thing. We're going to do the smart thing. We don't care if it takes longer or it takes more time or costs more money. Like we're going to do it right because human lives are on the line. Governments are on the line. Are the future of our species is on the line? Oh, it is. You know. Yeah. Um. And and I, that's why I love Elon because you know I, I I agree with you. It's he's a very polarizing figure. People either love him or they 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 can't stand him. Um. But as as you said and and I echoed a lot of people I know. It's 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 hard to not like someone who is ruthlessly in pursuit of the future of our species, um, regardless of what you think about him personally, you know? Yeah, um, no, you, could, you know, you can split hairs on behavior and all this kind of thing, but really it's yeah. the fundamental thrust, the thinking, the philosophy, and then the ability to pull it off in the end yeah. without mm -hmm. just continually expanding your organization beyond scale, you know, which, yeah. which you don't need. So I, I, I think that's, when you look for examples of the more exciting uh, companies on the landscape, this is it. <laughs> yeah. And you know they're they're setting uh, they're setting quite an example. And you yeah. said we couldn't be more enthusiastic about it. And um, uh, he's right, right. Not just crossing fingers, but just hoping against hope that they're just tremendously successful to help us yeah. all. And as you said before, you do need another component. You need somebody else to do this for them to be as successful as they need to be. I just totally. looked at their new website yesterday and I was yeah. very struck by this. You know, they have so much in the works and yeah. it's all with such clarity and, and mm -hmm. precision. And, and, and I can see that if anything drops, uh, you know, interrupts that, then it's bad yeah. for them. Everything is delayed. Yeah. So I'm being conscious of your time, and I want to get you out of here on a couple uh, quick questions I usually ask everyone. Um, you can answer them in one word or a thousand words, completely up to you. Um, first one is, if you had a billion dollars that you couldn't spend on yourself or your family, what problem would you try and solve? Wow. Well, uh, for me, it's fairly simple, but... but I don't know if it's a problem. A billion dollars wouldn't do it, but it's really an environmental thing, you know, the yeah. world that we, we're trying to live in and keep but sustain. We've waited decades and decades too long to address it. Agreed. Have, without getting political, we have an administration who's anti or denial. And, yeah. uh, you know, even the next administration, which I uh, hope to be different, will, will not be able to solve it all. But, yeah. but to me, that um, as someone, we both live in New York City. Yeah. Prime example, when you're at sea level, uh, <laughs> the, the, the futuristic films about disasters that they yeah. are very real. And they're real here in San Francisco and just about everywhere. So not, it's not just sea rise. But that is so threatening. And I don't think that even the presidential candidates this last season, when they focused on it, yeah. It didn't seem to raise the public's interest. No. Uh, anything like it should should have. Yeah. There were it's two candidates, including the governor of, of, of Washington, who yeah. made that their primary focus. Instantly, yeah. Got nowhere with it. But, uh, you know, it's sad. But I think that is the great uh, greatest threat of our times. And uh, it still doesn't move people the way it should. You know, I, I think that reminds me, um, there's a great podcast with Arnold Schwarzenegger, of all people, um, and Tim Ferriss. And, you know, Arnold was a, he did a lot for California when it came to environmentalism when he was governor. And um, 
he was posed a question about how does he feel about the current scenario? And he said he's mad because um, he believes that most of the people that have the knowledge and the power to help make change are just marketing it wrong. You need to make it personal. You need to make it people realize that millions of people die every year from pollution and millions are going to lose their homes from rising sea levels. Don't, don't say the climate is changing and, and, and all this thing. Cause I think, I think those are happening, but it's harder for people um, that don't even understand, you know, where Canada is in context of the United States to help them understand that like, Oh, climate's changing. If you said, Oh, you have a higher chance of your kids getting asthma and your beach house being washed away. If you don't take action, some people are like, Oh, okay. And you know, he brought up a good point where it's like, I think most people are smart enough to understand what's going on, but sometimes you have to make these uh, arguments personal. And every other political argument these days has gotten pretty personal. So why don't we make this personal at this point? You know. Well, years um, ago when I was working with environmental groups, um, it, you know, they talk about global warming. It's kind of an abstract principle. It's a very slow-moving principle. But uh, I was encouraging them to always use climactic weather as a kind of a a core idea. And now I think we have climactic weather every week in a different part of the world. Yeah. There's something really serious going on. Now yeah. we're starting a hurricane season, but there's so much worse than they used to be, Rob. You know, everything yeah. is just absolutely more often yeah. and much worse. And uh, the other thing relating to your question about what we use the money for, and it's very related, I think it's the poor of the world. And we've got plenty of problems right here in America. Yeah. Um, they've been totally ignored. And uh, we can't have this class disparity. You know, it's not going to yeah. work. So uh, unless we help the, 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 the lowest of the low, and unless we yeah. can pull them up somehow, and they're the worst, uh, you know, offended by the, by the climate change or the worst victims. Completely, uh, so yeah. So they're very interrelated. Uh, but that, to me, is where it's at. Yeah. Um, as, as I, 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 my answer to that question is, is identical to you. Um, and I usually say that, you know, I've had long had this desire. I'd, I'd love to, you know, make a successful career and have enough money to be able to start some sort of foundation. Um, but you know, for me personally, like I, I think education is, especially when it comes around technology and design and science and engineering is so important. Um, and art, um, you know, I'd love to combine those two and create some sort of an incubator where you could allow everyone from middle schoolers to 60 year olds to come in with ideas that could help us change anything related to climate change and, and help give them money to help them see that out. And I think that's where, you know, a, a lot what Bill Gates does and, and Melinda with the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation with, you know, uh, they, they want to inspire people to help make change by providing them financial advantage. And I think that's yep. kind of how you start. Right. Um, uh, next question for you is, uh, is there a story that your family or parents um, in the past like to tell about you as a kid? Well, it's a very simple um, mantra or um, dictate that I think that my parents passed on to me. And uh, I've used this example many times, but... Uh, the, their charge to me was to, to always be better than I thought I was, to keep striving to be excellent. Yeah, I and love that. Then not to stop there, but to share with others. So this is what's driven my career. And um, 
you know, it's not a selfish or a narcissistic kind of pursuit. But I've always been able to use a lot of my time, sometimes far more than I should have, to help uh, our profession or the world we live in. But that is what I admired about them. They were extremely generous people. They didn't have much, and they always shared it. And uh, it's as simple as that, really. I mean, that's what they passed on to me that I carry with me every day. And, uh, you know, I've been able to sometimes surpass my own desire or ambition in the, in, the, in, the, in the career, but rarely did I do that. I usually fall short of what I, uh, I wish I could do. Uh, but, but certainly the sharing with others has been something I've been able to accomplish, and, uh, and I feel good about that. That's amazing. I love that. Um, I may change this next question slightly um, back to uh, the question I originally copied from Tim Ferriss that he asks all his guests, um, but I think you'd give a pretty good answer, which is um, if you could have a single billboard anywhere in the world, uh, what would you want it to say and where would you put it? Where would you put it? Oh my God. That's a great question. I'm not up to it. <laughs> okay, uh, that's fine. Well, the message would be one of the things we're seeing, I think, and that would be uh, take care of each other. And, uh, and it would be, it would have to be, I think, in, in, in the center of communication, yeah. somewhere in the world where uh, that's strong, so it would be London, New York, uh, you know, that yeah. type of thing. Um, I love that. Billboards in these places, but, but you know what I mean, philosophically. Yeah, uh, I think we're so far from that principle. Yeah, we are. And it sounds, you know, idealism and this, that. But, but, but if we aren't caring um, for the weakest and the poorest and everything, it's not going to work. We're just, we're just going to come apart. Yeah, be I agree. Absolutely great for some people for a while. <laughs> and yep. then it's just going to implode. So uh, even with space exploration, it's good. I don't know whether I believe that we're living on other planets. I like the former astronauts view that we should be living under the ocean. Um, <laughs> yeah. We should be looking at both of them. And yeah. then really, um, you know, the, the idea of uh, narcissistic pursuit, whether that be more airplanes and more yachts and whatever, that, you know, that's, that's just, it's going to uh, destroy us. If yeah. the, if the rich and it sounds like I'm out there uh, with with signs on the street, but and we've done that too, but I do think that the we've got big problems and uh, they can yeah. all be solved by people who really care. I agree. Um, is there something that you believe in that most people don't? Mm. I, I don't know what that would be. Okay. And then I'll get you out of here on this last question. Um, okay. When is the last time that you felt truly inspired? You know, just like mouth on the floor, amazed, taken aback. Well, it's interesting because I, I, I think that um, if not one incident, We've been talking about this through the whole uh, cast. Um, it's really been the space activity, um, which captured my imagination as a little boy. Yeah. Uh, on, a, 
fauna in the farm and staring up at the stars. So I think that has probably floored me more than anything else. And um, yeah, that that's what it is. Um, that and the fact that I return to the theme of uh, that you can be happy in a very complicated modern world. Yes. Uh, by pursuing your own your ambition and love and, and caring for uh, the, the larger community. Yeah. All right. I love that. Well, uh, Richard, thank you so much for giving me two hours of your yeah, time. I know, you. I know it's busy. Um, and let's hope we get a launch this weekend. Um, but I'll make sure that, um, I, did too, I, but, um, I wanted to tell you, I think you're doing great stuff. I have a very famous you. name and a very famous name in New York. So I assume you're related to those people. <laughs> yeah. Lou, Louis Auchincloss is my grandfather. Um, so, you know, I, I was I was lucky enough to learn from him at a young age before he passed away when I was in high school. That's, that's yeah, well, you, got the, yeah. You, you got the DNA there. And uh, all I can do is say is I keep doing what you're doing. I think it's marvelous. And uh, I'll get to more of your podcasts, but I've looked at a few. And I think it's a great, great uh, contribution. So uh, thank you. Um, the only anecdote I will say on that about DNA is um, I actually don't have any of my father's DNA. Uh, my dad had cancer in college, um, so I'm from a sperm donor. And I think that's just a good point um, that, you know, I think a lot of what I've learned in life from my father and his parents and, and that whole side of that family um, can be taught to anyone. You know, I, I don't think you need to have this, you know, magical royal dna to be up to great things i think everyone's oh, no, achievable of, of yeah, no, incredible no. incredible uh, things yeah and I, I i think it also it skips over generations but i, I do think it's it's fun to contemplate the stuff yeah. that you're from and absolutely uh, yeah i mean so young you got everything in front of you man so we just keep doing it thank you that means a lot yeah. um have a wonderful rest of your Thursday. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to uh, share you. this with everyone. All right. Terrific. Onward. Thank Take you, Richard. I really appreciate man. it. Bye-bye. So long, Rob. I hope you all very much enjoyed this conversation with Richard Daney. As always, you can find me on social media at Rob Auchincloss or at robislos.com. Thank you and have a wonderful day.